have you checked out our new podcast here on the network? If you're looking for niceness, this is not it. Nope. <laughs> real topics, real conversation. Of course, you had to go open up a can of worms. <laughs> I did. And probably a little bit of controversy. Or, like, I'm, I'm very blunt or whatever. It, it's only because, like, I really try to, like, say what's on my mind. It is, like, you kind of knew what was... If you know who I am and you know what kind of person I am, like, you knew it was coming. I'm Jason Klaus. Join me and Amy Sheridan every week on The Real Podcast on the PFC Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pure Fury Creations Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. The following is a Close to the Heart presentation in association with the PFC Podcast Network and has been rated M for mature audiences only. Some language and dialogue may not be suitable for members of a family under 18 years of age. Hi, I'm Jason Klaus, and this is not your typical wrestling podcast. Instead, I'm going to be joined by a revolving panel of fans and experts as we look back on the biggest matches, moments, and events in the history of professional wrestling. So grab your foam fingers, make up your signs, don't forget your fanny packs, Join us as we take a trip back to yesteryear. Join us as we take a trip in the Turnbuckle Time Machine on the PFC Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. Welcome to the Turnbuckle Time Machine here on the PFC Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. I'm Jason Klaus. I'm being joined by a panel of some of the most incredible people you will ever listen to on any podcast, on any realm, and tackling any topic. I have no problem in saying that. I have assembled a dream team of sorts for this episode because we are going to tackle a topic today that is... If you're a wrestling fan, and obviously you are, or else why are in the hell are you listening to this show? But this is one of those those topics that gets talked about often during you know within your little circle, your clicks, your groups. Uh, and we're gonna bring it to the limelight here this week. And we're gonna kind of jump all over the place as we embark on this tour in this week's travels of the time machine. Uh, before we get there, let me introduce my my panel of co-hosts for this particular episode in no particular order. Uh, let's start off with Tim Williams. Tim, how's things in your neck of the woods, sir? Uh, not too bad. Very busy. Um, 
it seems like it's been forever since I've been able to be on here. So I am looking forward to this conversation big time today. I'll, I'll have you know, sir, that you were an inspiration for for this topic because I knew you would have you you and the next guy I'm fixing to to introduce. We're going to have strong feelings about this. So I'm glad that that you two are on here. And speaking of Ray Jackson is is back with us on the Turnbuckle Time Machine. Ray, how's things, bro? Uh, really good, man. I, I appreciate you having me on the podcast once again. Uh, always a pleasure uh, talking to you and Tim. Uh, been a long time. And second, Tim, nice to meet you. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm pumped about this, man. You know, thanks again for having me on. Well, Ray, you're you're a part of the podcast network family here, man. So, I mean, it was, it's a given. And returning to the Tarnbuckle Time Machine is the newest member of the PFC Podcast Network family. Tim Sheridan is with us. It's going to be weird this week, Tim. I got two Tims in here. So, if I address you by your guys' last names, don't take don't take offense to it. Okay. Not at all, <laughs> gentlemen. We are, um, we're, we're going to talk about the greatest professional wrestlers to have never been a world champion. And I realize that there is a little bit of gray area in this because when I've embarked on conversations along these lines, all depending on who I'm talking to or talking with, like they have my version of a world championship and their version of a world championship don't always see eye to eye. So I guess before we get rolling with this, when I say world champion, I'm talking about the what you think about when you hear world heavyweight champion, the end-all be-all of the territory or the promotion. Now, in, in my mind, because I'm old school, a world champion is a legitimate world champion that travels the world for their, their respective brand. You had it with the National Wrestling Alliance. You had it with the American Wrestling Association. And you had it with the World Wrestling, uh, world Wrestling Federation. Now, the exception that I take here and now in, in, this, in this current product, when you've got like Ring of Honor, You've got Impact. You've got, you know, these smaller promotions that are toting world champions. But the old school mentality in me doesn't recognize their titles as world titles. Tim Williams, am I out of line there? No, not at all. Because, you know, I, I've gone back and forth with the topic over a few guys. And even though... Let's let's take world class for example. They had their own version of the Great world example. title, but um, yeah. yeah, I but I don't. I never really considered that a world title for the reasons that you mentioned. They, the, I mean, yeah, I guess they would go to Japan, but but most of all, I, I mean, most of the time they just stuck to Texas and the surrounding areas. Um, so yeah, like the big three for me too growing up would be AWA, NWA, WWF. WWF, WWE. Um, so those would be my idea of world champions. 
Right there. Yeah, now, you used world class as an example, great example, because a lot of times when their champion, we're going to say heavyweight champion, went over to a Japan or went overseas, and this was much before social media was a thing. Nobody knew about it. Nobody had any idea what was happening outside what was being aired on TV or reported in, in the aftermags. Pro Wrestling Illustrated, The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, these these type of publications. And that's that's another reason why I don't, I don't recognize those titles, even back then, as a world champion. Ray, you are a... You're, you're younger than us. You know what I mean? So... Thank you. <laughs> your your fandom. Now that's not to say that you're not a student of the game because you are. I know you are. But in this day and age, do you see where I'm coming from when I don't recognize MLW or Ring of Honor or you know these types of smaller promotions as a legitimate world champion? Do you understand where I'm coming from on that? Um. Yes. Uh. You know, I was raised pretty much on like early 90s WWF and that's like all I came from I remember like in one NWA tape in where the Road Warriors were on the cover and I thought the Road Warriors that's the Legion of Doom you know so like I'm a pretty like WWF guy full and through which I'm happy to see what they're doing now but with, with that being said I agree with Tim on the point like you see a lot of companies now even if you look back in the day like ECW had a world championship and i know i'm pretty sure they did some stuff in east uh, or japan you know but like unless you're constantly defending that title everywhere around the world i think it's uh pretty problematic to call it a world championship that's something i always respected of you as a booker jason for the michigan wrestling organization i know you never wanted to call it a world title no it's i never called it a world title it's a heavyweight championship. If if I want to have a world title as a worker, I'll go wrestle some Japanese dude and he'll probably kick the shit out of me, you know, you know. But no, we're here in Michigan, you know, world or heavyweight championship, definitely. Yeah, you know, I I always I always got on people when they would refer to the MWO championship as a world title. I have a problem just I, ultimately I don't care because what 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 promoters are going to do with their promotions, with their titles, is their prerogative. But the, like I said, the old school mentality part of me is like, you cannot tout your title as a world title if you do not leave the confines of your specific area or territory. If you are not crossing international borders, you, your claim to have a world title is null and void. It's just bottom, it's bottom line. It's not to shit on another product or, or anything like that. That's fundamental facts. I mean, that's what a world title is, right? Right, Sheridan? Would, would you agree with that or no? Yeah, for sure, 100%. Pretty much I've always considered any of the major promotions, you know, those are, those are the ones that have the world titles. And I don't consider Ring of Honor or anything a major promotion or impact. You know, you're WWE now back in the day wcw nwa you know major promotions like that that are in the mainstream mm -hmm. so that you know so i'm in and look before i get a bunch of hate tweets or hate mail yes i recognize all elite wrestling as a world championship 
Okay, let right. me just throw that out there. I'm I'm not a fan of the product, but I recognize what, what they're doing. So yes, I do look at the AEW title as a world championship. So with with that being said, um, I threw this topic out over you know a couple of days ago. We're going to talk about the guys, the superstars, the wrestlers that could have been world champion, should have been world champion, but for whatever reason, were not a world champion i kind of constructed myself a top five list and um i will we'll, we'll go around the horn here a couple of times and just kind of bring up some names we'll talk about them we'll move on to the, to the next one now tim williams i feel like um a couple of these people on my list and a couple of honorable mentions are going to be right in your wheelhouse because on my list in no particular order, uh, the first one that comes to mind when I think of world champions that, or the guys that should have been world champion and, and never were, the first guy that pops up on my radar is Magnum TA. Uh, yeah, um, he was a guy that I didn't, I mean, I did think about him when I was kind of thinking about it, but uh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, there's no doubt about it. He was being groomed to probably beat Ric Flair for the NWA world title, which at the time was a huge deal. Um, would have been, would have been a, a huge, huge deal. Um, so yeah, for sure. I mean, I think they've pretty much in, in shooter interviews all admitted that at this point that Magnum TA was going to be the guy to unseat Ric Flair around, around that era. So, right. uh, so yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I like <laughs> I liked Magnum. Um he to me as a wrestler, I I, I just he was I, I hate to say this, but he was boring to me. Um he was like a kicker puncher guy. Uh and he has even said that they were going to sort of make his gimmick like a precursor to what they ended up doing with stone cold steve austin down the line mm -hmm. um they they did have like a little angle when he punched the nwa president bob geigel or somebody at, at one point um so yeah uh i mean it would have been cool to see anybody beat rick flair at at that time um but uh yeah I mean, and obviously we know what happened. He got his career cut way, way, way too short. Too short. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, he may have even been a guy that would have jumped to WWF later on and, and done something there too. Now, I feel like for younger fans, you know, you may not know the name of Magnum TA, like, like, like Williams was saying, um, this guy was being groomed to, to beat Flair for the NWA title, and like like Tim said, that was that was a big thing back in 1986 because Flair was very much the standard bearer for Jim Crockett Promotions, and you know back then it wasn't just it, it wasn't a booking committee, it wasn't one guy calling the shots. Like they had to get the approval of 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 a complete panel of other promoters that, that worked under the NWA banner. 
So for them to get on board with Magnum TA, because back in 86, like Magnum TA was the wrestling equivalent of Magnum PI. Like Magnum PI back in the day was a huge show, not just with guys because Tom Selleck was awesome, but like the women would, would tune in because he had that charm. He had that sex appeal. Magnum TA was very much that for the NWA at, at that time. Um, Sheridan, I, I know we talked about this um, off air and on air, but like your fandom kind of kind of started in in the 90s but i know you also paid attention you you learned about the business and things of this nature had magnum ta come across your radar at all i'm gonna be honest no okay um i know who he is i'm gonna say like i i know who he is but when it came to this it didn't cross my radar yeah like i know he was a good worker but i didn't put my top five top ten of you know greatest workers to never win a world championship so just a little bit before my time so other than just going back and learning history just he wasn't part of my list so okay fair enough ray i i just want to add on to that just by saying that uh honestly like i've off the top of my head, I've cried to wrestling matches twice, like as an adult, and once, which happens multiple times, which is Stone Cold, uh, Bret Hart, WrestleMania 13, my favorite match of all time. But when I watched this cage match, uh, what, what was it, 88? Uh, what was the uh, cage match with uh, uh, Tully, Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard? 85. Uh, 85. Oh, 85. Okay, so the first Starcast, Starcade. Starcade. Well, it when, was at Starcade. Uh, the first one was actually in '83 with Flair and Race on top. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Flair for the gold. Uh, my yeah. bad. <laughs> but when he had that hot, when he had that piece of wood, like in the movie Zombie, like going towards uh, Blanchard's eye, you know, I just got to say that's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in wrestling. Uh, and when it comes to my five it's going to be the obvious let's get it right out of the way scott hall i know he was being groomed for, he was being groomed for the awa title for a long time before he went to wwf i i just think uh pe- people can say he's overrated or underrated i think scott hall razor ramon is rated just where he, he should be he should have been a champion but doesn't matter he sold merch. He was a big guy. He was strong. He had a look. He was muscular. He, he, you know what I mean? He was a technical wrestler. He could throw punches. I throw punches to this day, like Scott Hall. And that's my favorite right there. Scott Hall was actually going to be the next one I brought up. So thanks for, for leapfrogging me, fucker. Um. <laughs> I got I to think something, too. Ray, not to uh, rain on your parade or anything or make you feel bad about getting upset about the finish, but the finish of the Magnum CA Tully Blanchard was a ripoff of the Jerry Lawler-Terry Funk empty arena match, I think maybe a year or two before that. Just a little trivia for you. Well, you see, you're messing up my trivia now because... I was going to mention Jerry Lawler is my favorite wrestler to never win a heavyweight title. Next. Okay. 
No, no, um, it's joking, guys. He won like 50, 50 60 belts. Right. And that's going to be, <laughs> I do have a point in my notes here. I have a group of guys that I put into a list that were, in their minds, world champions. But the based on okay. criteria that I laid out earlier, I, I mean, Lawler did have a AWA world title run. But at that point, the AWA was well on its way down. You know what I mean? It had become much more of a regional territory. Back to a regional, a regional territory. We'll get there in a little bit. Um, <laughs> okay. Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, is on my list. And like for all the reasons that you laid out, Ray, he, he had the look. He had the gimmick. He could work his ass off. He could work with anybody. Um, what he did in the AWA is what put him on the map. You know, he was he was a tag team champion with Kurt Hennig, um, Mr. Perfect, also on my list. Um, he goes to WCW. He they he becomes the Diamond Stud, goes absolutely fucking nowhere, and then he comes over to the WWF and he gets repackaged as Razor Ramon. And the first time I looked at him, I'm like, this guy could be something. And then they shot him right to the top of the card. And he worked with Brett the Hitman Hart at the Royal Rumble for the WWF world title in 93. And you've got your first glimpse of what Razor Ramon or Scott Hall would look like in the main event picture. Ray, I know how you feel about Scott Hall. I know, you know, it's well documented. Scott Hall is to you what Steve Austin is to me. So... Tim Sheridan, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall. Could should he have been a world champion? I, I think he had the uh all the ability in the world. Question is whether or not he needed to be world champion. Technically he didn't need I to be. I have another list like that. <laughs> <laughs> he was a great heel, great worker. I mean, I still look back at him and Sean in that ladder match, and I've watched that match. 500 million times you know like i used to have just a tape in my bedroom because we didn't have cable for a while and it was just the best of wrestlemania i would just rewind that match and watch that match over and over again i think in the long run honestly scott was his worst enemy you know we all knew that he had issues and i think that probably stopped him from getting that run but at the same time he never needed that run Neither did probably a lot of these guys that are going to be on this list, you know. Back in the day, you know, the the championship was it was a, it's a gimmick, you know what sure. I mean? Just put up, yeah. try to get him over, you know. Some of the guys didn't need it. Um, he was obviously one that did not. He had a tremendous career without ever having that put on him, and you know, still probably one of my favorite workers all the time. Huge fan of him. Um, I think if he would have got a shit straight, he would have probably had a lot of runs on top. Tim Williams, um, I know we run the risk of ruffling raised feathers here, but you know Tim Sheridan br- brings up a great point. Um, Scott Hall, with all the potential, had—I mean, he was—he could have been that guy in either the WWF or WCW. His personal demons, his personal hangups, and and things of this nature, obviously a detriment to his to his momentum, right? So, at what point do you feel like Scott Hall, if he was going to be a world champion, 
what era, what time period would that have been in? And it didn't happen because of his personal bullshit that he dealt with. Well, I, honestly, uh, so Ray mentioned them grooming him in the AWA. He would not have been ready. Vern, there's no way Vern would have put the title on him, I don't think. I mean, they were hurting because they had lost Hogan. So maybe they considered it just because he was a big guy. But if you look at his matches, I mean, he was like super green at that point and clunky. Right. So I don't think Vern would have put the title on him uh, in the AWA. But after after his first WCW stint and he goes and becomes Razor Ramon in WWF, I think at any time, if they would have needed to put the belt on him, they could have done it. And I don't think that. I don't think anybody would have been shocked. I mean, really, I mean, uh, Tim already mentioned it. He definitely had all the tools. Um, so he doesn't win it there, but he could have when he goes to WCW. I mean, he's, you know, he spearheads the whole Monday night war era. Really? He's the first guy to show up, uh, the first WWF guy to show up in WCW. Um, so I thought that they were going to push him as that guy in WCW, but then it turns out they they go more with Kevin Nash. But either way, I think any time, any time, either of those eras, I think he could have won won their world title, and um, I think he he would have done fine with it. I I agree, and it's too bad that. He wasn't in the situation to where he could get his shit together because I mean the sky was the limit for for that dude, and it's it's unfortunate. Like like Sheridan said, you know he had a tremendous career. You know he didn't need the the world title. Scott Hall carved out his own spot in history, and like Williams was saying, a lot of that is because uh, you know spearheading. The NWO movement, which would set the entire business on fire and force what would what would be the creation of the Attitude Era and the whole Monday Night War thing, and just set the business on a completely different level, right? So, um, but Scott Hall, you can make you you can make the argument that he does go on that list of guys that didn't need a world title to be a success. Everybody in the world knew who Razor Ramon was or Scott Hall or what whatever he was known as. The only but if you say Diamond Stud to somebody, they've got no shit and idea who we're talking about until we bring a picture of them. They're like, well, that's Scott Hall or Razor Ramon. No, that's Diamond Stud. And it's all about timing. It's all it's all about the package, right? So, um, another one on my list, and I'm kind of going old school with, with this one, but this is the guy that uh, comes into my mind often when I think about guys that could have been world champion, um, a different era, a different situation, but had all all the tools. Is Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff? I want to take you gentlemen back to 1986, where Hogan and Orndorff were tag team partners. They were, you know, working out. They were friends. This is stemming from a reconciliation of sorts from the first WrestleMania when they were on opposite sides. But as the storyline would would work out, he, you know, Hogan and Orndorff would form this friendship, and then Orndorff would turn on Hogan 
during a tag team match against Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy and set the summer of 86 on fire. They drew 74,000 people to the CNE Stadium in Toronto, Canada. As we're recording this, it's actually the anniversary of that particular show. Now, Paul Orndorff is one of those guys had 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 a great look, had the great in in ring work, had Bobby Heenan as the manager. Like all of the all of the things were in alignment for him to do some some great shit. And had it not been in in, in the center of the whole Hulkamania boom, and had it been somebody else other than Hogan, I feel like Orndorff would have been a WWF world champion. Ray, would you agree with that? Or am I just way out of your, your time frame here? <laughs> uh, a little bit of both. Uh, here's the first bit of controversy. Controversy. I know, you know, I love you, Jason, but I think Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff should have never been a heavyweight champion. There's so many guys in that time I think should have been better than him or, you know, in a better spot. Uh, and <laughs> I don't mean to be so, like, dramatic about it. <laughs> I just think... I take uh, no offense. Uh, for me, I agree with you. Like, I, I like a wrestler's wrestler, like, in trunks and boots. That's, like, my style. I like the old school. I like... He had solid work, a solid look. Uh, maybe it's the charisma. I mean... Even even then, he's kind of known as a guy that doesn't have much charisma, but he definitely has more than a lot, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it uh, just didn't hit for me, maybe before my time. I think that's what a lot of it is, because I was 10 years old when that shit happened. Like, I was in my peak fandom. And even going back and looking and watching old matches that Orndorff had prior to his WWF run, like, this guy had it. And like I said, he was he was set up as the perfect opponent for Hogan. But had it not been Hogan, had it been in the NWA, could he have beaten a Ric Flair? Could he have gone to the AWA and toppled a Nick Bockwinkel? I feel like he could have. You know, I, I really do. Um, but the fact of the matter is he was in the WWF. Tim, you were watching at this point. Tim Williams, you were watching at this point. Could Orndorff had been a WWF world champion? Should he have been a world champion? Um, he he definitely could have been. Uh, like you said, it was right in the middle of the Hogan era. Um, I think a heel Orndorff could have been good. If they needed to take the belt off of Hulk Hogan for some reason. And supposedly, I don't know if you guys have heard this, the rumor is that at WrestleMania 3, if Andre wasn't in good enough shape, they were going to have a spot. Yeah. Yeah. So if they did that, do you think that they would have let Orndorff beat him? Because, uh, it, I mean, how many times have we seen Hogan beat Orndorff <laughs> up until that point? Um, I, I mean, that would have, uh, I, I mean, that would have been the only way to really salvage that match is if, uh, is if Orndorff would have actually won. But, the problem was, at that point, Orndorff was already having the atrophy in his arm. Right. Uh, one. Two, the only other issue I have with him being a world champion was, think about, like, 
most of those guys, I think that they could be over as a heel or a face. I don't think Orndorff was as over as a face as they would have needed him to be. Um, as a heel, yeah, he was like super heat machine. But as a baby face, every time he turned baby face, his popularity like seemed to just drop. Jim Sheridan, where does Paul Orndorff show up on your radar? Does he at all? Not on this list. Um, not personally. Um, but I think that in short periods, <laughs> he has a transitional champion at that point, as a heel like Hogan, like the other Tim was saying. Um, but I think just like a lot of the guys that you might see on this list got stuck in the in the Hogan era and had no chance to begin with because obviously they were just pushing Hogan to the moon and nobody else was going to get that, you know? So. I mean, honestly, guys, like when I look back at it, like I like Orendorf more than Mr. Wonderful. Like, you know, I wasn't even alive when this came out. Like when I watch it back since I was a kid, I like the cowboy better. (laughs) Wait Um, a minute. You, who are you? T- oh, you, you said Orndorff, but I think you meant Orton. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. <laughs> With the cast, yeah, I, got yeah. I got you. I got Bob Orton. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> Owen Hart. Tim Sheridan. Let's start with you. Owen Hart is one of those guys that um, you're a consummate utility player, and yeah. the guy in a lot of respects and this this causes a lot of controversy when when i say this to certain in certain group chats and things of this nature in a lot of ways he was a better utility player than his brother brett the hitman heart and i feel like wwf on two occasions had a prime time to make owen hart world champion one was in the summer of 94 when he had won the king of the ring went on to to main event uh, SummerSlam that year in the big blue cage against Brett for the WWF title. Could have very easily put the, put the strap on Owen that point. And then you fast forward to 1997, the Montreal screw job happens. Everybody in the Hart family, with the exception of Owen, bolts for Atlanta. And he's left on his own. They could have done. And with Shawn Michaels as the champion at the time, you really had your story already made. Now, obviously, he if they had gone that route, he more than likely would have been a transitional champion because you just were not going to stop the momentum of Stone Cold Steve Austin in, in, in that run. But Owen Hart, Intercontinental Champion, European Champion, Tag Champ, all this. Could, should he have been a WWF world champion? Um, he's one of the weird ones for me that kind of is teetering on that line because I honestly think that Owen Hart was probably one of the best workers in the world at one point. I mean, he could get in there with anybody. He could make himself look great, and he could also make other people look just even better. Um, I think the only thing that holds him back is he wasn't a good talker you know he wasn't as believable on the mic you know i think the only time he was super entertaining is when he was the blue blazer you know that that gimmick was entertaining um 
But I think he could have been as a transitional champion. I just don't think he had 100% the right mic skills to uh, be have a long run as champion. I can see that. I can um, also talk about Brett, too. I never thought Brett was the greatest on the mic, either. Um, I feel like Brett, Brett's best promo work came during, you know, 97, during the whole USA versus Canada thing. Like, I felt like that was something that he could sink his teeth into. And was really more comfortable in in that storyline, and then you saw Brett's best work. Um, but I'm I'm 100 with you with, with Owen on on this. Like in the ring, un, untouchable. But he was missing that something, and you know that was it the ability to connect with the audience because of his promo skills. I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong; he could do promos. I just don't think they were on the par with the guys at the time. You know, so right. You know, it wasn't as he just didn't click as well with the audience as I think some other guys at the time. So it would have been hard to keep him on top for a very long time. Ray, I feel like you got strong feelings on this. Uh, I mean, I was born in 88. So like the mid 90s was kind of my time, like WWF on TV. So Owen Hart was on TV all the time. And to be fair, I love Owen Hart with all my heart. I just think he's honestly rated right where he should be. You know, be mad at me if you guys want. I think he was like the prolific, like great mid-card guy, good match guy. Do I think he could have been a heavyweight champion? Of course. There's so many guys that could be a heavyweight champion. And Owen Hart would be on the top of most everybody's list, including mine. I just think for this in a debatable, argumentative way, which we haven't gotten yet... I, I just think he's right where he should be. One of the best of all time, that being said. Tim Williams, Owen Hart. Um, yeah, I kind of agree with with what has been said so far. Uh, great worker, but to me, he was just missing just a little something. I don't know if it was his promos. Um, I, I, I don't know exactly what it was. I can't pinpoint it, what he was missing to me. That doesn't mean that later on he wasn't going to gain that. Uh, and I, I wholeheartedly feel, no pun intended, that if he, you know, obviously if he didn't have that tragic accident, that sometime in the early 2000s, I think he he would have definitely won the the WWF world title. With the Blackheart gimmick, the way he was turning, I, I, I really like that, actually. You know, you could sit here and talk about the what ifs. What if this didn't happen? What if this happened instead? You know, and he's one of those great what if stories, specifically for the reasons that Williams j- just laid out here. You know, what if he hadn't fallen, and what what would have what? How would that have changed the course of action for him, for the business, for the company? Um, it's always going to be one one of those. One of those what if scenarios that and uh, you know there there's a number of guys that that we could throw in what if this didn't happen like magnum ta what if he hadn't been in in that car accident that ended his career the same can be said for like a brian pillman you know if he hadn't gotten hurt by the time he had gotten to the wwf if if we had gotten a healthy brian pillman as the loose cannon what would that have looked like right um now the last one on my my top five list my personal top five list 
the million dollar man Ted DiBiase. And this, even as a kid, and, and, and recognizing what he brought to the table. Like I was aware of Ted DiBiase from Mid-South and, and all of that. But so when he comes to a, the UWF and, and, and all of that, but when he comes in as the million dollar man and they, they position him to where he's trying to buy the World Wrestling Federation Championship from Hulk Hogan, I'm like, holy shit. Like, like I was more worried about Ted DiBiase being the guy to unseat Hogan as champion than I was Andre the Giant. You know, a number of months before that at, at WrestleMania 3. Ted DiBiase is one of those guys, like, I would not have been pissed if it was, um, if this, if they had gone a different route in the finals of that tournament at WrestleMania 4 and DiBiase walked away from that show as world champion and, and Randy Savage would have been positioned as the one you know, chasing the title, I would have been totally cool with that. Ted DiBiase, though, the gimmick, the in-ring skill, the dude could talk. The guy had it all. Had it all. And if anybody was going to be that foil, that perfect foil in 87, 88, you can make a point to parts of, of 89, it was the million dollar man. Tim Williams, where is Ted DiBiase at on your list? Uh, <laughs> I think I had mentioned this before. Um, I, you know, I, I think I did put him on my list, but at the time I would have not have agreed because I was familiar with his work in Mid-South and UWF. He goes to the WWF. Like I, I believe he he like was on UWF TV, and then the next week he's they're they're showing the uh, vignettes for the Million Dollar Man or something, or it might have even overlapped. I I don't remember, but uh, I was just like, you got to be kidding me! Like going from like just because if you knew kind of how he was in the UWF, he was kind of like the, and he was a babyface before he left, but he was like the blue collar guy. I think he was in a feud with One Man Gang, who was their champion at the time. And then he goes and they, they, they do this gimmick with them. Um, but so, so at the time I, just because I didn't like the gimmick, I would not have wanted them to put the title on him, but now looking back, yeah, definitely another guy. And it seemed like, I mean, I mean, let's face it, even though Andre kind of got the top heel spot after WrestleMania three, it, it it was not him. I mean, it was definitely DiBiase that was the top heel in there. Um, so, yeah, uh, looking back, he definitely had all the tools to become a world champion. And another rumor, <coughs> you, you touched on it, but another rumor was that he was actually supposed to win the tournament at WrestleMania 4. But the deal with Randy Savage and the Honky Tonk Man uh, supposedly changed the, the plan at the end. Because Honky Tonk didn't want to lose the IC title to Savage earlier. So then they supposedly promised the world title to Savage. And so that's why he won it. I had heard that too. I, th I think uh, Bruce Pritchard actually mentioned that on Something to Wrestle. Uh, his podcast uh, through adfreeshows.com. Um, Ray, I said Ted DiBiase's name and you got all animated. Where... 
Uh, Does he show up on your list? In a battle between uh, Tim and Jason, I'm Team Jason with Ted DiBiase. Now, I agree with some of the stuff you said, Tim, about like how Ted DiBiase was the million dollar man. Million dollar man. I think the gimmick itself doesn't really need a title. He's memorable no matter what. And you know, this is me looking back. I kind of grew up on 1990 forward, but I just think like not to take away the title run of Macho Man. I just think not necessarily the tournament he won it in. Was it four WrestleMania four? Yeah. I, I just think. It, it would have benefited Ted DiBiase. We all know WWF back in the day was more of like a babyface, you know, territory in a lot of senses. I, I just think it could have benefited from a heel. So at one point, I feel like it. Ted DiBiase kept his gimmick, his essence and everything and didn't lose much from it. But he could have gained so much more with that heavyweight title. And I yeah, that's definitely my that is my number one. Ted DiBiase. Uh, Tim Sheridan. Oh, this, is, this definitely breaks into my top five here. So um, he's one of the ones I think is legitimately probably one of the best characters ever. Um, great gimmick. It's a gimmick that he could even come out as a manager today and still pull that shit off. Perfect. Um, it's just another one on my list that I think he deserved it. But he didn't need it, you know. Right. Point in time, like he didn't need it. Um, but did he actually buy the WWF Championship belt from Andre? Yeah. They just that don't realize it. So, and let's be honest here. I mean, he didn't win it, but he bought it. But if that character was to get the championship, that's a perfect way to give it to him. Just have him buy it on somebody. Right. You know, it sucks that they don't recognize that because I I thought that was awesome that they would do it, but it was. He's definitely a person that deserved it, just didn't need it. Same as Scott Hall through his run, you know, there was there was no need. He was super over without it, you know. You could use that character to build up your champions, you know, and that's back then, that's what a lot of it was. You know, you, you build your, your monster heels up and monster heel rarely wins, just gets baby face over, makes the champion look stronger. Um, so definitely in my top three. Um, who, who, who rounds out your list, Jim Sheridan? Mine? Yeah. I'm probably Rowdy Roddy Piper. Okay. Right. Probably, probably think one of the greatest talents out there, probably one of the best people ever on the mic, solid worker. I don't think Hogan would have ever been who Hogan is without Rowdy and Andre, you know, I mean, he's just in my book, probably one of my favorite workers. So. I have honorable mentions here, Tim Williams, in terms of because, you know, I've laid out my top five, my personal top five, DiBiase, Orndorff, Magnum, Owen Hart, and Razor Ramon. Um, I have two honorable mentions on this. I, I know one is going to register with you, if not both of them, um, Arn Anderson and beautiful Bobby Eaton. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, so I'm sure that I've mentioned it before. I was kind of kidding before, but uh, you guys all know that beautiful Bobby Eaton is my favorite of all time. As world champion, as a world champion, though, I, 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 he just didn't, obviously did not have the mic skills, I think, to 
to pull that off, honestly. But Chip um, Cornette did. Well, that's true. You could have just. You, it, that's true. If he still had Cornette as a mouthpiece, uh, definitely. I mean, I'm weird though, you guys. I, I think like Jim Cornette is like blended in with the team of the Midnight Express. Like that—that's how tight their unit is as a team, as a tag team wrestler. That's how I look at it, at least. Uh, no, I, I agree with that. I, but I was thinking more of the era where he was on his own as a babyface. Uh, he did get a couple shots at Ric Flair. Um, I think he did have a Clash of the Champions match, like a two out of three falls match. Um, believe me, I would have marked out more than I've ever marked out in my life if Eaton would have beat him for the belt at that time. But kind of looking back, I can understand why <laughs> they would not have looked at him that way. Uh, and, and really, it all boils down to that, just uh, just his mic skills. But yeah, but yeah you're right. I mean, I mean, they, in in if they really wanted to, they could just use Cornette as as his mouthpiece for sure. Um, and then Arn, definitely another guy that uh, had all the tools, um, you know, an abundance of all the tools. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fuck's wrong, uh, right? I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> but I mean, like, like let's let's take the Monday Night War era when the belts changed a lot more than than uh, they had previously. They could have easily thrown the belt on Arn for uh, a week, a month, a day, whatever, just to say that he was world champion. Um, but uh, but yeah, I yeah, definitely. I, I mean, just those guys work great alone. Uh, would have warranted a world world title uh, reign for both of them for me. Who uh, who rounds out your list, Ray? Uh, I mean, I I do, I don't want to sound so cliche because, like, honestly, we've heard all these rumblings between the companies. Triple H took over WWE. Tony Khan can't run AEW, and it's like, man, y'all are lucky to have a job. You made so much money. Probably more than any of us. Like, just we all want to be the best. Not everyone can be the best. But with that being said, Rowdy Rowdy Piper. I don't think he needed it. You know, uh, I I think that shouldn't be like a discrimination from a, a certain artist in professional wrestling. Like, oh, Rowdy Piper didn't need the belt. Mister Perfect didn't need the belt. Doesn't mean they don't deserve it. And I think just like in, in that sense, like. Just as a fan, like from the heart, watching Piper, like guys like Roddy Piper or Ted DiBiase, Million Dollar Man, I never knew why I liked them as a kid. And then as I got older, I, I realized like because they're really good, and and the the baby face don't run without a heel like that. And now I grown up, and I'm Roddy Piper. I didn't, but uh, Piper would was in my top two. My my. Uh, revolving top two that I came up with. <laughs> Who's so, one? Who's number one? Well, this is going back. I mean, I don't even know if Jason's that familiar with him, but uh, Bruiser Brody would be my number one, oh, probably. Sure. Oh, come on, bro. Bruiser Brody. Sure. Yeah. No, Ray, listen. Bruiser Brody is one of the most underappreciated talents in the history of the fucking business. Straight up. What that guy did, now he, 
a, a lot of people just know him for his hardcore shit and the stuff that he did in Japan. But make no mistake about it. Bruiser Brody, if if he had been a one of the marquee players in the WWF or NWA, AWA not so much. But if if he was a major player, if he was allowed to be a major player in either one of the big two promotions, the entire era would not be what what it was. Bruiser Brody was a legitimate badass. He was. And I totally, I totally get where you're coming from, Tim Williams, because that guy was that guy. Number one was lost way too soon, and and, and just the way yeah. that everything happened is an an atrocity. And the sky was the limit for Bruiser Brody. So I I can totally see that. I got to I got to chime he, in. He, he's he's. I uh, I watched a lot yeah. of Brody because actually my last run <laughs> working with Apex, um, I had Dyson Price, Scott Bailey, take me under his wing. Um, and he was trying to change the way I was working and give me hinters. And he's like, just go watch Bruiser Brody. And I sat down and I spent weeks just watching this guy. And man, was he fun to watch. And was he a badass. Like, I had a whole new respect because I knew who he was beforehand, but I never really paid that much attention to him because it was way before my time, you know? Um, but once I did, it was, that opened up my eyes. It changed the entire way that I worked and it probably saved my body to where I can still walk today. So, you know, just becoming a brawler like that was different from what I was doing before, but I totally enjoyed it. I got, nothing but respect for his work rate and i could i see him being a world champion almost anywhere you know um just given the chance that he wasn't taken so soon right yeah the only i i would just say this about him and this is probably the reason why i mean one he never stayed in a territory very long two i think he was just looked at more of like an attraction type guy like uh like andre would have been at one point too um, you know, maybe even like a Kamala or somebody. Um, so, you know, he's another guy that didn't need the belt to no. be over. But if somebody wanted to pop their territory or whatever, they, they could have definitely thrown the belt on him. Mm-hmm. So I, mean, I have. Oh, I'm, I'm saying the good answer, you know, uh, Brody. <laughs> go ahead, Jason. <laughs> no, go ahead, Ray. Oh, I lost my train of thought. Okay. Well, I I have this. I have two other like smaller lists on here. Very small lists. Like I have, I have a list of guys that were quote unquote world champions, but by the time they had actually achieved a world championship reign, it wasn't what the belt once was. Uh, Ravishing Rick Rude was the international world champion when he returned to WCW in the 90s. That belt meant absolute dick. Um, Mr. Perfect. By the time Kurt Hennig became the AWA world champion, the AWA was on the decline with the quickness. Um, A lot of people, when he came to the WWF in late 87, early 88, as Mr. Perfect, they didn't... Even, I mean, they didn't acknowledge their previous 
personas and accolades beforehand, but like there was nothing mentioned about him being a world heavyweight champion anywhere. And that's because of where that promotion was at the same at, at that time. Larry Zabisco can can be thrown in there too by the because I think he was the actual last <laughs> AWA champion. And Jerry Lawler uh, Jerry Lawler. Jerry Lawler was the AWA world champion. Co simultaneously held the USWA and the AWA championship. But, but again, by the time Lawler gets to be world champion with all the accolades that that guy has done, you know, uh, a 30 plus time USWA champion and all this other stuff, they put the world world title status on that championship, but it wasn't. And like, yeah, technically Lawler is a former world champion. Rude is a former world champion. Henning, former world champion but in 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 history books it doesn't mean anything let me let me me throw one more name out there that that goes right along with these guys and that is barry windham yes Uh, good one because he he got the watered down nwa international i think it was the same one that rick root had right yeah later on um so yeah the belt didn't mean as but much when he won it but technically I, I think in the books he probably is down there as some kind of a world champion at one point. I feel like Barry Windham is the guy that should have taken Magnum TA's place when I, when 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 Magnum's accident happened and they had to find an opponent to Ric Flair because Flair and Windham they had some of the damnest matches I've ever seen. And Barry Windham at one point could be argued as one of the top three best workers in, in the world from bell to bell. Yeah. Ray, what, what were you going to say? Uh, I forgot. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> Some stupid shit. But I would like to say uh, on a list of people that haven't won the belt before, I think somebody that is very underrated is Yokozuna. Right. Can, can we just flip it that way? You know, well, Yokozuna was was a two-time one of the greatest champion. champions. Of all, I just think he don't get enough respect. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think honestly, not to be like pretentious, like I was saying, like as a worker, but I just think like if you're getting like if you're there to do a job, do the job, do whatever you gotta do. I think like everybody wants to be number one. There's so many wrestlers that should have, could have, would have been champions, but uh. Yeah, I think the you know right place, right time. That's by Stone Cold was there, the best moment in wrestling. Do I think Roddy Piper should have had a belt? That was my number one for sure. I I think, you know, we should all stop crapping on wrestling sometimes and just enjoy it. You know. So I have a I have a list of guys that didn't need the belt. They were super over. They they could have been positioned as. A front runner, or they could have put the belt on them. I've got oh, three guys on this list. Huh? Now, now, now you're going to piss me off with this list. I hope I do. Uh, <laughs> Rowdy Roddy Piper, Jake the Snake Roberts, Hacksaw uh, Jim Duggan. Mm. At the time, those three guys in their respective time, what are you moaning about, Ray? Uh, Hacksaw I, was good. Hacksaw Jim Go- Duggan was good. He wasn't like, Heavyweight title worthy. He's fun. I'm looking at pre WWF. 
Okay. Because Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the WWF, it was not the Hacksaw Jim Duggan before he came to the WWF. Didn't he have, didn't he have <laughs> like an AWA with, with like uh, no. Junkyard Dog or something? No, Junkyard Dog is another one. No, I sound ignorant on the podcast. <laughs> no, you don't. You sound, you, sound like, you sound like you are a fan of your era. That's, Bingo. That's what that is. You know, you're 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 younger than Tim Williams and I are. Like, you know, we started watching it, watching this shit back in the '80s during its first run, and and, and all this stuff. Ray and Tim Sheridan came in into the into the fold later on during a different era. I mean, that doesn't mean that you don't respect what happened before that because you obviously do. You're students of the game. Tim Sheridan has a great appreciation for Rowdy Roddy Piper. By the time he became a fan, Rowdy Roddy Piper's best days were way behind him. Still active, still doing shit, was you know headlining WCW pay-per-views with Hulk Hogan. He, they could have put the title on him at that point, but he didn't need it. He was that over. Jake the Snake Roberts is another one. Everybody's like, oh, my God, why didn't Jake win the title? Jake didn't need the title. Jake was over because he was Jake the Snake fucking Roberts. That's all he needed. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, there was a window of opportunity there for him to be slotted into a better position. Now, I get the whole American flag and the whole and all this stuff. Like, people don't take him seriously. But there was a time. That man was a legitimate badass. Here's another one. Tim Williams, I think you, you will agree with me on this. Butch Reed. Butch Reed is one of those guys criminally underrated. And even though he was more of a territory guy, like there was an opportunity when he was working under the NWA banner, they could have very easily shifted their, their focus and made him a mainstay. Then he comes to the WWF and they dye his hair and he becomes the natural and, and, and all this other shit. But there are moments of opportunity where he could have been a world champion. Did he need it? No, he didn't. Because in pockets of the country, Florida, San Francisco, Portland, this guy was huge. Way huge. He, he, he was positioned way better than he would have ever been in the WWF. Who were some other guys? and we'll go uh, around the horn here, that didn't need that title, aside from a Piper, from Roberts, from Duggan, from a Butch Reed. Uh, the, the only... I, I agree with everybody that you said. Um, the only other one that like really sticks out of my mind is Andre the Giant. I mean, that guy definitely did not need a belt to be no. over to be an attraction, to sell tickets. Um, I'm sure there, I've tried to route down some other ones, but, um, but I can't think of them right now. Uh, I, I think we've covered most, uh, everybody that, uh, that I wrote down. I'll just throw out one other name and he's not necessarily in this category, but, um, one other guy that de- I should have mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the guys that behind the scenes derailed their own career. And that's uh, nature boy, buddy Landell. Uh, he definitely had all the tools as well. Um, but he had some issues behind the scenes, uh, that kind of derailed his, his push. And then 
you know, that that kind of continued throughout his career. But yeah, Buddy Landell, and I, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because I have I have stronger feelings about that guy than I probably should, because in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, he doesn't move the needle. But like, this is the guy that had all the potential in the world, and he and he fucked it up for himself. For sure. uh, so I totally get that. Tim Sheridan, you know, we've spent the last hour or so talking about this. Any names? on your particular personal list of guys that should have been world champion or guys that didn't need the world championship that made the needle move on your particular radar somebody that we did not you know touch on or talk about no pretty much we everybody like when i started this i actually wrote down a list so i wouldn't forget names and my top three were actually scott hall rowdy Roddy piper and ted dibiase so to me, we covered all the ones that I can personally think of because I'm not even thinking in like the last 20 years, you know, I'm looking back at, you know, talents that were like super over back in the day that I, I think, you know, changed the business and actually, you know, did something. And I, I think we covered the majority of them that I can think of off the top of my head anyway. <laughs> I've got one I was thinking about. Would yeah. you guys kind of consider something like this? I think back, like when Kane won that first blood match at King of the Ring 1998, after you know mankind got thrown off the cell and all that stuff, and he bled or whatever. He he took the belt. He lost it the next night to Steve Austin to pop a rating. So my question is, you know, one night title reign, less than 24 hours. Do you think would you count that as like a championship reign? Or do you think like the original incarnation of Kane could have had like a real attitude air reign? I feel like number one, his title reign should be should be recognized because a title changed hands. I also feel like um, Kane, the the original incarnation of him, should have had a longer run, even if it was from pay per view to pay per view. Like, if he won it at King of the Ring and he lost it at, at SummerSlam, I would have been okay with that. Um, but you have to consider, if, if you were going to recognize Andre the Giant beating Hogan and then turning around and selling the title to Ted DiBiase as a title change, as a title switch, then you have to recognize Kane as do the you WWF guys, Do you guys recognize Andre's reign when you yes. switch it? I do. I do because he beat Hulk Hogan. He pinned Hulk Hogan in front of a worldwide television audience. Tim I do not Tim. recognize the selling of the title that Ted DiBiase, you know, winning the, you know, buying, buying the title. I don't put Ted DiBiase's name in, in the lineage of the WWF world title because he didn't win it in the ring. It was never recognized. They stripped, I, I they vacated it. the title. You count yeah. it? Yeah, oh, I recognize, hell yeah. I recognize anything that got the belt off of Hogan. But Andre's the one that got the belt off Hogan. I know, I recognize that. So I recognize dude, that. Dude, I don't recognize guys, the transfer from Andre to to D, to DiBiase. That's would, the part I don't recognize. Would it be tight to have like a life, life-size poster of Andre holding the belt? Wouldn't that be so cool to like have on your door, your wall, in your basement or some shit? I have a, I, I used to subscribe to the, and I don't have it down here. I 
subscribed to that slam crate that WWF was doing. And they in one in one month they had a blanket, a throw blanket, life size, seven foot five inches tall of Andre the Giant. And it has like all of his me- his measurements on there. Fun story. Oh yeah, fun story. Um like I, I used it to black out the curtains because I'm I'm a third shifter and I hadn't bought any like blackout curtains, real blackout curtains. Yeah. I got and them. like I would put that Andre the Giant blanket above the above the curtains and it blocked out the sunlight because I that's I have to sleep during yeah. the day, right? Uh the girl I was dating <laughs> <laughs> would get freaked the fuck out every time she came into the bedroom and there's a fucking Andre the Giant standing, you know, up up against the window. So like I have something along those lines. He doesn't have the belt, but it's life size and this is what the man looked like in person. Sidebar. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> it's unbelievable, man. I'll I'll take a picture of it. It's I think okay. it's upstairs. I'll I'll take a picture of it because this is gonna drop in a couple of hours from recording. It's dropping at midnight. So oh, okay. I, I'll go ahead and take take a picture of it, and when I share the link to the show on on the Facebook page, this will accompany it. So so something to look forward to. <laughs> Um, gentlemen, is there anything else you'd like to add to this before we put a bow on this week's episode? Ray, we'll start with you. Anything? <coughs> Great. Excuse Tim me. Williams? Excuse me. Let Tim uh, go first. No, I think we covered I think we pretty much covered covered it all. I mean, there might be like a couple other guys out there that uh that might have not got mentioned, but uh I think we covered the heavy hitters there. I I agree. Wait, Tim Sheridan. Hey, Tim, Tim. What's the name of your store, bro? Oh, uh... Yeah, push your show, bro. It's an awesome place. This place rules. For nerds like us. I'm not a nerd, but Jason is. He's hosting the damn thing. I do have a lot of pro wrestling stuff, exclusive pro wrestling stuff. I got a lot of 80s wrestling magazines, Plastic Planet Toys in Lapeer, Michigan. Uh, right in the Lyric Mall next to Sam's Coney, right in downtown Lapeer. And my wife yeah, was... Yeah. She bought me a fucking dude love pop vinyl from you. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tim's got a great place, man. Go see him place or message him. He'll he'll probably eBay you some shit, you know, whatever you want. No, I haven't been in there yet, but the wife went in there the other day with uh, our two kids and ended up coming home with a pop vinyl for me. So that's oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. I also, yeah. All right. I showed her this just so you know. I also have a uh, uh, a Mr. Sacco that Mick Foley actually made and signed. But oh, he was telling me about I, it. But I you got it in your I car. <laughs> you brought it out there with you. You got it on you, dude. I want this. Hey Arnold, like uh, when he's in the uh, banana costume. That's that's the fucking pop I want. If not, then fuck you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Andre the Giant. Peace out. Oh, VHS Days, VHS, D-A-Z-E, on Spotify, that's our podcast, Killer Pizza on YouTube, YouTube slash, forward slash C, forward slash, Killer Pizza Videos. <laughs> Subscribe. Tim Sheridan, do you have anything that you would like to plug, sir? No, I, I think we did a pretty good job of covering, like Tim was saying, the the heavy hitters, you know, and... I kind of like that we didn't dive into any of the, 
you know, the last 10 years. You know, there are some names out there that we could have dived into, but let's see where their career takes them first because it's a little too short to, or a little too soon to tell. But I, I think we got it all. I think it was a good episode. I do too. The, and that, like this last hour just flew by. Like I looked up at, at the counter and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, I just looked at the time too, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, we got to get, I was like, "Got to get Chase ready for school." Whoops! Yeah, I got to get ready for work and all kinds of shit. But real quick, uh, before we do put put a bow on this, I feel like it's only fair that we we tackle the flip side of this conversation on the next episode. We're gonna we are going to do a deep dive, gentlemen. You're more more than welcome to to come back into the conversation. The guys who should never have been world champions. And like when I say that, that sentence, awesome, there's one there, the, like there's one guy that instantly pops to mind because he kind of like ruined the whole brand. Not his fault. He was just doing what, what he was told to do. But it was definitely a black mark on that particular pr- promotion. We will dive into that here on the next episode of the Turnbuckle Time Machine. For Tim Williams, for Tim Sheridan, for Ray Jackson. I am Jason Klaus. We appreciate you uh, tuning in this week. Join us again for the next time we hop in and take a trip on the Turnbuckle Time Machine here on the PFC Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. There is a new destination for the official online store of the PFC Podcast Network. If you're a fan of our shows, and obviously you are, or else you would not be listening to this right now, you can check out all of the, the latest t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, cups, glassware, anything under the sun that have the various designs and logos from all of our shows here on the network. Head on over to cafepress.com forward slash PFC network for your official merchandise of the PFC podcast network and all of our great shows. Thank you.